Book of James today. We've been in, as Aaron pointed out, we've been in James now for three months plus. Um, y'all, y'all know if y'all have been here the whole time since we started, I'm not. I have yet to tackle like a big book of the Bible, so uh, I do that for you just for, because I'm I'm concerned about you guys, and I don't want you being in the same book of the Bible for a year. All right, so. If we go to big books of the Bible, we'll break them down into smaller portions, and I'll, I'll do a series. For instance, the Joseph series that we did, No Average Joe, that was Genesis chapter 37 through 50. So we've already done Genesis 37 through 50. So anyway, just so you're aware, I keep you in mind. I try not to kill you uh, when, I'm, when I'm planning these things. But we're going to be in the book of James in chapter number four. The title of today's message is simply, who are you to judge your neighbor? Who are you to judge your neighbor? If you have your uh, journals, um, as you know, throughout this series, we're reading from the ESV just to keep it consistent with your journals. James chapter 4, beginning in verse 11. James, inspired by the Holy Spirit, says, Do not speak evil, against one another brothers the one who speaks against a brother or judges his brother speaks evil against the law and judges the law but if you judge the law you are not a doer of the law but a judge there is only one lawgiver and judge he who is able to save and to destroy but who are you to judge your neighbor who are you to judge your neighbor? I want to be abundantly clear this morning. I did not select this topic or this text today due to the current unrest that is going on in our country. I did not select this verse, these two verses today because our community has been shaken by the death of George Floyd and others. I arrived at this topic today due to my personal and our church's commitment to verse-by-verse -verse teaching and preaching of God's Word. Isn't it ironic, don't you think, that we come to this conclusion or we come to this text in the timing that we do? Maybe the only better timing would have been to get here by last Sunday. I don't know. While this text can and will be applied in a racial context throughout the sermon, we would not be doing Scripture justice to interpret and apply this strictly in the racial realm. We ain't gonna, we're not going to have any other pastors listening to this because we're on our private Facebook group, but I wish I could tell some pastors this who just love to hop on the current events and find a passage that they think applies to it and run with it. We would not be doing the scripture justice to only preach this as it refers to race. Okay? The Bible is deeper than that. The context in which we find ourselves in this text is simply as Pastor Aaron preached, and by the way, an incredible job. As he preached last Sunday, we are at war. An internal war, yes, and oftentimes external wars. Because of our pride, 
He concluded in verse 10 with, Humble yourselves before the Lord, and He will exalt you. That's how verse 10 ends. And then we pick up in verse 11, Do not speak evil against one another, brothers. May I say this as a quote if you, if you like to write things down uh, and, and save them and look back at this as a quote. A major part of not judging another person is a commitment to humility. A major part of not judging another person is a commitment to humility. And we'll come back there this morning. Our nation is fracturing before our eyes. I'll be honest, I hate the fact that we are so well connected that we see everything. I often think back, and I'm, I'm 37 years old. I'll be 38 in, in August. And I think back to when I was a kid, and not that ignorance is what I'm asking for, but I think back to when I was a kid, pre-social media, pre-cell phone, pre 110% connectivity. And I think that our focus in our lives would be a little different if things weren't thrown in our faces. On the flip side, some injustices happened during those times that were never caught on camera and that were never able to be shown to the world because of the lack of the technology. So I'm not upset. I think that it has changed us um, I have a pastor friend of mine who I was talking to about the danger of Twitter, specifically to pastors, and he said the problem with social media is well-educated or well, or, or no, he didn't say it that way. Mature Christians are being lectured by immature Christians, and they don't even know it. Um, it's just a different world. I would say that we are now experiencing things in our culture that we have never experienced before to this magnitude. And while not all of it is bad, it has definitely caused division within our nation, within our communities, our neighborhoods, within our families sometimes, our churches. And today, we would do well, I believe, to pray together as we start and dive into this text and to ask God for what I preached about two weeks ago and that is that we would have the wisdom that is biblical and that is godly. How many of you understand the only answer to questions in our culture and our society? What is biblical and what is godly? That is in both what we say and how we communicate it. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, speak through your word. God, I pray that we would understand sensitive topics and that we would listen to you and your Holy Spirit this morning. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Number one, let's dive right in. Number one, we should guard our speech regarding one another. This is... This one, I, I actually thought about putting, Dear Josh, we should guard our speech regarding one another. Look at verse 11. You have your Bibles or an app? Look at it. 
Do not speak evil against one another, brothers. For the one who speaks evil against a brother or judges his brother, we'll get there, speaks evil against the law and judges the law. We've all heard the, um, the phrase, sticks and stones, help me, may break my bones, but words will never hurt me. Can I, can I amend that this morning? Words may not break bones, but they pierce souls. Words may not break bones, but they pierce souls. The words that we say, they are piercing. The words that we say, they bring life or they bring death. And while some of the speech that we know as evil speaking is obviously evil speaking, there are other ways to speak subtly evil into the life of other people. I'll give you one. I want to speak into your life, but I've not loved you ahead of time to earn the right to speak into your life. Hey, Zach, man, I, I'm, I'm going to bring you over here, man, and I'm, I'm just going to tell you, I'm going to give you a what for of this, this, this in your life. And I've not spent the time, I've not had the lunch, I've not hung out, and I want to speak into someone's life without earning the right to by loving them. Before we allow words to flow from our mouths, we must check ourselves through the filter of both truth but also discretion. Before we say one word about a situation or especially about a person, we must ask ourselves, not only is it true, but is it necessary? I'm going to say that again before we open our mouths about a situation or especially about a person. Is it true? Is it necessary? The immature Christian says, well, it's the truth, so I'm just going to say it. The mature Christian says, I know the truth. I know that I could say it. But I love that person more than I love getting the truth out there. And so I'm going to use discretion. And that may mean that the truth still needs to be spoken, but maybe it needs to be spoken in a much different way. Maybe the truth needs to be spoken in a private manner. Maybe the truth needs to be spoken later on in the day or later on in the calendar, in the week, in the month. And maybe if you're like me, my wife helps me with this. She'll tell me just to sit on it. We've gone through this recently in the last few months. Hey, sit on it just... Just before you, before you do that, just wait. Tim, Tim has helped me tremendously with this. Tim's, I'm like, Tim, we, we need to do this or we need to do that. He's like, chill, bro. That's what he says. In the Greek, I, I'm, that's what he says. Um, but he's helped me with that. They always say, they, listen, they, they will tell you, they, I don't know who they is, but they say when you start a church, you will experience drama in one area of your church. You know what it is? Music. It doesn't matter. That's where you're going to experience the drama. Well, guess what? I'm not saying we're perfect. We really don't have a lot of drama. And you know why? Tim taught me something. Hey, it'll work out. Take a step back. Delete. Don't post. Don't make that phone call. Just relax. And praise the Lord so far, any and everything that we ever would have possibly tried to, you know, address has addressed itself. It is amazing. 
That doesn't mean that we're passive leaders. That doesn't mean that we're not willing to, to, to speak when we need to speak. That means we try to use discretion before we speak and it becomes evil. Before we speak and it becomes evil. Titus chapter 3 and verse 2 remind them to speak evil of no one, to avoid quarreling, to be gentle, and to show perfect courtesy toward all people. Toward all people. So the things that we say, we ought to check ourselves. But we must also remember that out of the heart, the mouth speaks. So number two, we should guard the contents of our hearts regarding one another. Some of you may be sitting there going, you know, Josh, I don't really say much. So first point, I'm good. First point was to Josh. We listened. More importantly, or as important, verse 11 says, the one who speaks against a brother or judges his brother speaks evil against the law and judges the law. What does that word judge actually mean? I, I, wanna, I did not just look up a dictionary. I looked at the original use of the word in its original language and what it actually meant. The word judge in a biblical definition, it means to determine to pronounce judgment or listen, or to pronounce an opinion concerning right and wrong. Okay? Now, the word pronounce, we need to make sure we understand that. That means to make a, a declaration. It doesn't mean that we go through this life forming no opinions and having zero discretion and we're just a big free hugs, you know, kind of guy running around loving everybody, even though we, we should love everybody. Uh, but but we, this is not an advocate for, for not using wisdom. This is not advocating not being using discretion. This is not advocating that. This is saying that we should hold off pronouncing judgment. And we should hold off pronouncing our opinions. The same word is also translated in the King James uh, several times to determine or to condemn. That's what the word judge means. Romans chapter 2 verse 1, Therefore you have no excuse, O man, every one of you who judges, for in passing judgment on another you condemn yourself, because you the judge practice the very same things. Judging one another, coming to a conclusion of, of someone else, determining something about somebody, uh, to, to proclaim our opinions about someone is a heart problem. It's a pride problem. And it's definitely a prevalent problem. A prevalent problem. Thirdly, we should understand the result this morning of judging our neighbor. What's the result? Look back at our text. Do not speak evil against one another, brothers. The one who speaks against a brother or judges his brother speaks against the law and judges the law. But if you judge the law, you are not a doer of the law, but you are a judge. There is only one 
lawgiver and judge, he who is able to save and to destroy. But who are you to judge your neighbor? The result of judging your neighbor, you are not a doer of the law, but a judge. But a judge. Romans chapter 2, verse 2, we know that the judgment of God rightly falls on those who practice such things, talking about judging one another. Simply put, when we judge one another, we are placing ourselves in the position of Almighty God. There is but one lawgiver and one judge this morning. And when you judge someone else, you place yourself in the position of lawgiver and judge. And that's why the question this morning is so prevalent. Who do you think you are to judge your neighbor? What the Bible says, the Bible actually answers that question. You may not consciously make this decision, but when you judge your neighbor, you are saying that you are God. You are God. And it's unbiblical. It's, it's heretical. If I got up here this morning and declared that I was God, you better leave this church. Please. But when we stand in judgment of one, of one another... We make ourselves not a doer of the law, but a judge. And there is only one judge. And that is Almighty God, Creator God. And let's go back to the, the context as we mentioned in our introduction today from verse 10. Humble yourselves before the Lord and He will exalt you. No, when we judge someone else, we are not humbling ourselves before the Lord. We are raising ourselves up to put ourselves on His throne to make the judgment calls that are reserved for only Him. Judging. And so, fourthly, and it's my last point, but my conclusion is my message. Just call me my father. We should submit to the authority of the holy judge. The one lawgiver, the one judge, the one who is able to save and to destroy. One of our key foundational principles here, and we probably don't say it enough now, and we need to, is that we want to create at Keystone Church a judgment-free zone. We got that from Planet Fitness. Um, if, if you have the $7 a month to go, I mean, you know, but... Uh, on the wall at Planet Fitness, I used to stand near that wall whenever I would go because, you know, me and the gym, let's put it this way, me and Bojangles look much more like a, a couple than me and the gym do. But Planet Fitness's mantra was that we want everybody to come to our gym. And whether you've been working out forever or whether you're me, we want you to be able to come in here and not think that everyone is standing back and watching or standing back and judging. And so we wanted to create that here. And here's why. Because as people walk through, uh, there's not doors, but as people come onto this property on Sunday and they come and sit down here, I don't care what they're wearing. I don't care how they look. I don't care if they have on a three-piece suit. Awesome. I don't care if they're wearing shorts and a t-shirt. Awesome. I don't care what happened in their life this week. I don't care what happened this morning in their, you know, in, in their, at their house. 
At the end of the day, as we as we approach uh, worship, as we approach church, as we approach what God has for us at Keystone Church, it is with open arms. It is coming in here and it doesn't matter what you look like. It's coming in here and it doesn't matter the things that you've gone through this week because Jesus loves and cares for every single person. And not only does he love and care for them, he values them. Jesus values them as much as he values you. In fact, I might be able to point in Scripture and say he, he might even show a little bit more of a nod to those people. So, so anyone that shows up at our church, anyone with any past, with any background, we want to welcome them appropriately, judgment-free. But can I say this? Keystone Church will be no more of a judgment-free church than you are a judgment-free person as a member of our church. It wouldn't take long for people to say, oh, yeah, those people, they're really judgment-free on Sundays. But I've really gotten into their lives, and man, it's a different story outside of the, the walls. Oh, those people on Sundays, yeah, man, they... They got, they'll, they'll talk and they'll smile and they'll ask if we can help. But in their real heart of hearts, down deep, personally, that's not who they are. And we will only accomplish being a judgment-free church by being a church that's made up of judgment-free individuals. We must submit our opinions to Jesus. We must submit our words to Jesus. We must submit our hearts to Jesus. We must submit our preconceived notions to Jesus. Here we go. We must submit our political agendas to Jesus. We must submit all that we are and that we think and that we believe. We must submit it to Jesus Christ. This passage speaks more generally to the sin of judging one another. But as we apply this, I want to speak directly to the sin of prejudice or the sin of pre-judging someone that's what the word is it's literally what the word is pre-judging in case you couldn't tell i'm a white man speaking this morning um and i want you to know that i sometimes will fail at knowing what to say and what not to say. If I can be honest. But just because I sometimes fail at what to say does not mean that I should passively sit back and watch prejudice happen around me. I understand that currently what is in our face is a is a, a black and white situation. I also understand that racism is much more broad than white black. Um, we're going to talk about that as we close. So I am talking about what we're what's facing our nation right now. But I, I hope we're also talking about. And I hope you apply it 
to even the broader. But we spoke of the sin of judging. That means to make up our minds about someone, to pronounce our opinion, or to pronounce judgment on someone, to condemn them. There's a problem in America and in the American church with judging. But I believe there's another problem that's closely related and worse, and that is prejudging. You see, it's one thing to know the facts and to make up your mind about someone. And the Bible just commanded us in those two verses not to do that. Do not make up your mind. You know, it's anti-gospel. You don't make up your mind about them because guess what? Jesus still opens his arms to them until the day they breathe their last breath. So we don't make up our minds about people. So it's one thing to know the facts and make up our minds. The Bible tells us not to. It's another thing to make up our minds pre, before we even have, or before we even know, or before we've done the research, or before we've actually tried to figure it out. And that is the sin of prejudice. And when we do, when we judge, when we prejudge, we place ourselves in the place of Creator God. What an arrogant place to put ourselves. And I don't even know what to say about someone that would make up their mind about someone before they even knew. Before they knew. Prematurely judging someone. Prematurely condemning someone. And can I say this? Judging is sin. Prejudice is sin. It's sin. It is inexcusable. There's zero justification for it. It is anti-gospel. It is anti-grace. It is anti-God. God cares about that person that is completely different than you. God cares about that person that's in a different economic status than you are. God cares about that person that happened to be born in a different country than you were born in. God values them. So much that he sent Jesus to die for them just like he valued you to send Jesus to die for you. And unfortunately, if I can speak freely, guys, and please, as I said, I know that some of the things I may say, I'm an open book. Unfortunately, prejudice seems to happen the most over the color of people's skin. Did you know that the pigment of one's skin makes up only 1.2% of the genetic variation of a human being. Listen to me. The pigment of one's skin makes up 1.2% of the genetic variation of a person. That means that 98.8% of us is the same. We have the same, we got fingers, we got hands, we got feet, we got lips, we got eyes, we got internal organs, we got knees. Some of your knees are better than others. But that very top layer, 
that very thin, very thin layer at the very top, the top 1.2% of who we are is the pigment of our skin. And so often we will look past the 98.8% of a person and we'll simply be lazy and look at the 1.2%. I wrote this down to say it, so I'm just going to do it. It's all good. I've made y'all mad before. We'll fight. And we may not verbalize it. We may not be point one today. We may not speak it, even though sometimes we do. But we will judge it in our hearts, prejudging someone because of the color of their skin. And someone might say, well, I'm not a racist. I don't hate people because of the color of their skin. Well, can I say, first of all, I don't even like the word racist because I, we're going to get to that, but I believe the Bible explains to us that, that because of Jesus, we are now all one and we were even all from our father Adam from the beginning I'll use the word prejudice I personally don't believe you have to hate someone to be prejudiced I believe there are layers that come way before you hating someone I believe there are many many layers of prejudice that happen before you know, a white, a white man in western North Carolina would don a KKK hood and march to the city hall. I think there's, mu there's a lot of layers of prejudice before the hatred comes out. So here are some questions to ask yourself. Y'all ready? I'll preface it by this. I don't even believe prejudice is who we are or even what we do. I believe prejudice starts with how we think. Okay? Prejudice starts with how we think about something. Not how we act upon it or not even what we say, how we think. Here's some questions to ask yourself as, a regard, as it regards to this. What do I think about my children dating or potentially marrying outside of my race? Good question. What do I think about my children dating or potentially marrying outside of my race? Number two, we're here. Let's just finish it out. What do I think about the killing of George Floyd? Listen to this follow-up question. Is my first thought true sympathy? Or is my first thought to try to find something in his past to justify what happened. It's fine. What do I think about it? What do I think about the prejudice that was shown in the Bible? Oftentimes by the Jewish people. In fact, much of the New Testament is preaching to the Jews because they refused to accept the Gentiles and they wanted a Jew church and a Gentile church. What do we think about the prejudice that was shown in the Bible? We do understand that when we read the New Testament and the Jews and the Gentiles and the Samaritans and the Jews were going back and forth, it's exactly what we're facing right now today. We do understand that. 
Thirdly, what do I think about the prejudice, sorry, fourthly, that has been shown throughout American history? Um, Y'all do understand that like the previous generation, nah, let's say two generations back, actively participated in restrooms, uh, water fountains, buses, restaurants, that one color went to those and the other color went to those. You do understand that. You do understand my grandparents went to school in segregation. What do we think about that? How do we think about that? Listen, I, I'll be honest. I'm not here to, to bear the brunt of the decisions that were made hundreds of years ago. I'm really not that guy. I hope you know me well enough to know that. But I think we ought to be conscious enough to understand the history and where we sit presently. And have we come a long way? Yes, I believe we've come a long way. Have we arrived? we got to be kidding me. No. No, we haven't arrived. What do we think, or how do I think, about the prejudice that's been shown in church history? Mm. How about that horrible theology that some of you heard about Ham being cursed and that being all black people? Some of y'all heard that in churches growing up. Crazy. I wrote this sermon early in the week, earlier in the week. Last night at 1025, I get a Facebook message from a friend. I haven't even told you about this. From a friend in Indiana, girl I went to school with. She goes, hey, I was just told about this curse of ham thing by a friend of mine, and it sounds really off, but I have no idea how to process it. I'm reaching out to you and a couple of other pastor friends that can help me walk through this. It's terrible theology, but hey, I digress. How about people twisting scripture? That should be their favorite gospel singing group, Twisted Scriptures. To twist scripture to saying unequally yoked means not marrying someone from, your, from another race when it's clear that an unequally yoked means a believer not marrying an unbeliever. How about poor theology when we interpret slaves... And masters, you say, Josh, certainly people don't believe this. I could take you to the door of a man in Baltimore, Maryland right now. And I could open that door and I could say, I won't even say his name. Person, what do you believe about slaves and masters in Scripture? And he will apply it to the justification of slavery in America. Today. What do we think about that? The prejudice that's been shown in church history. Hey, do you know something? I'm, I'm speaking freely here, guys. Do you know um, I've been educated over the last three years. I've got some really, really good friends that are black pastors in the area that have really helped me. You know a couple of things. You know why black churches tend to stay longer in church? And we joke, right? Oh, ha, ha, ha. At least we'll get to the, to the restaurant before the black churches do. <laughs> you know why they stayed in church longer? The history of that? Because it was the only day that their masters would give them freedom to be out of slavery. And so they wanted to stay at church as long as they possibly could. And here we are, white people, right now, some of us thinking, hey, will he shut up? I want to go to Cracker Barrel. 
That's why they wanted to stay in church late. Hey, you want to know why? I, you want to know why that, that many black people, the, the, uh, don't have a family member die and the funeral won't be for another week and a half or two weeks? Do you want to know why, historically, why that is? Because the family had to come up with the money to pay the funeral home in order to have a proper burial for their family member. And we're like, ha, ha, ha. That's why. And folks, maybe if, if, if you and I will shut up every now and then and I'll listen to Ryan Brooks or Chuck Reed speaking to my life over dinner and I'll shut up, they can tell me some things. And so instead of me making the sly joke, I now understand. And so now when I'm, when I'm at the restaurant and as I'm leaving the restaurant, some African-American brothers and sisters in Christ are coming in the restaurant, there won't be that thought in my head to make the quick joke. No, there, there's going to be that thought in my head to think, man, that tradition was kind of passed down for some really, really horrific things that happened. Maybe, just maybe this morning, we need to think about how we think about it. What do I think about the prejudice that's been shown in personal areas connected to me? Racist jokes? I've got, a, I've got friends that I have to make it very uncomfortable around them when they begin. How about the use of racial slurs? Followed with, oh no, <laughs> I'm just joking. These are personal areas connected to me. How about ministries that I've been a part of in the past who would only allow a certain tiny percentage of black children and teenagers to come to church? For real. For real. And it wasn't down south. How about ministries that I am 100% familiar with that would call the parents of a white girl to inform those parents that their daughter was known to be dating a black guy? But they would not call the black guy's parents to inform his parents that he had been known to be dating a white girl. I know it's uncomfortable, guys. That's okay. We need to be uncomfortable. Here's a good one. What do I think when someone challenges me, especially a person of color, about being prejudiced? What's my initial thought? I can tell you in my flesh what it is. I come to my own defense. My initial thought is, well, I want to explain to you how I'm, what reason why I came to that conclusion. That's my first thought. I got to be honest. It's not biblical, it's not scriptural. But how do I think when someone would accuse me of being insensitive and prejudiced? Let me remind you how we got here this morning. Who are you to judge your neighbor? Have you placed yourself in the position of God? 
We are all one blood, one nation, and one race, the human race, according to Scripture. This is not the only place, but Acts chapter 17, verse 26. He made from one man every nation of mankind to live on all the face of the earth, having determined a lot of periods and the boundaries of their dwelling place, that they should seek God and perhaps feel their way toward Him and find Him. Yet He is actually not far from each one of us. For in Him we live and we move and we have our being. The gospel of Jesus Christ is levels the playing field this morning. The gospel of Jesus Christ. You see, Jesus doesn't see the color that we see. In fact, God sees one color. And I'm not trying to be taboo this morning. God sees one color, and it's red. He sees one color, and it's red. It's because the day that Jesus died and He shed His blood, that red blood was poured over the sins of the world. And when He views me, He views it through His blood. And when He views Keith, He views it through His blood. Pigments are different. The blood of Jesus is not. When He views me and He views Keith, He sees the same person. He sees Jesus. It's the gospel, folks. You cannot say that you have ascribed your life to living out the gospel if you try to live out the gospel and you harbor prejudice in your heart. It is anti-gospel. It's anti-grace. Today I am reminding myself Today I'm challenging myself. I am calling myself out to repent of any prejudiced tones and prejudiced thoughts and prejudiced words and prejudiced actions. Does that mean that I'm committing myself to protesting and, and rioting? No. Does that mean I'm joining myself up with organizations that I would fundamentally disagree with their morals? No. Here's what it means. I'm calling on myself to further commit to multi-ethnic friendships and real relationships. I'm committing to working with minority partners in our city to get a better sense of what people who don't look like me face. In fact, this Thursday, I will be a part of a webinar here in Durham that will discuss these very things. And I promise you that there will be some things said that make me uncomfortable. I promise. I, I have interacted with some of the people that are going to be on this webinar, and I know I will be put in an uncomfortable situation. But I'm, I'm committing myself to that. I need to be uncomfortable. Part of the gospel is sympathy, but it is an attempt, as much as we can, at empathy. Sympathy is just feeling sorry for someone and their situation. As much as possible, empathy is trying to feel the burden. It's trying to sit with them. In the seat. Prejudice is a real thing. 
In 2020, it still exists. And if we're going to be people of the gospel, we must, here's the thing, we just must look internally. We must look internally. Who am I to judge my neighbor? And maybe that's the answer. Maybe it's referring to people as neighbors. Maybe that's the answer. Maybe we need neighbors instead of those people. Maybe we need neighbors instead of you guys. Maybe we need neighbors instead of y'all over there. Maybe we need neighbors instead of just coworkers, or maybe we need neighbors instead of just acquaintances. We need neighbors. Neighbors. John Newton penned the words to probably the most popular hymn in history, Amazing Grace. And John Newton wrote, wrote the words, Was blind, but now I see. Was blind, but now I see. And it wasn't until 16 years after writing those lyrics that John Newton, a former slave trader, renounced his former slaving profession by publishing a pamphlet called Thoughts Upon the Slave Trade. I want you to understand this. The hymn Amazing Grace was written by a man who actively participated in slave trade and not until 16 years after writing the hymn did he renounce that lifestyle. However, the track described horrific conditions on slave ships and Newton apologized for, making, uh, for participating in such a trade. He's quoted as saying, I will always be a subject of humiliation a humiliating reflection to me. It will always be, sorry, it will always be a subject of humiliating reflection to me that I was once an active instrument in a business at which my heart now shudders. The pamphlet was so popular, it was reprinted several times. It was sent to every member of, of parliament under the leadership of William Wilberforce. The English civil government outlawed slavery in Great Britain in 1807, largely because of that booklet. And Newton lived to see it by mere months. He died in December of that year. I don't know. Maybe the next time we sing Amazing Grace, which by the way, incredible, amazing hymn, maybe we should think, hey, there may be some folks who don't look like me who have heard the same story and know that for 16 years, he didn't renounce the lifestyle of slave trade after writing that. And, and maybe we still worship Jesus through that, but there's a, a tug at our heart. Maybe, like John Newton, we'll have a was blind, but now we see. What am I? I'm not, please, Lord knows. I'm not calling you to go put anything on social media. Lord knows. I'm just calling you to kind of introspect this morning. I'm calling you to not judge. I'm calling you definitely to not prejudge. 
specifically, have a conversation. Go meet a neighbor. Strategically, listen. Just this week, I met a minority neighbor of ours, and we both laughed because we've lived near each other and we've not ever really actually met. Our kids have met, or our kids have met them and all this stuff, but we haven't. Just meet. And the conversation was, as soon as all this stuff is over, we want to have you guys and some other neighbors over for a cookout. Oh, that would be awesome. Maybe that. Maybe that. I hope you guys understand my spirit today. I'm not here to be, I'm not here to be an instrument of white guilt. I'm just here to be, hopefully, true to the Bible. And what James was saying to the Jews who had a history of prejudging the Gentiles, the Samaritans, and basically anyone who wasn't exactly like them. Thanks for listening today. If you're listening for the first time, we would love to hear from you. Maybe you have a question about the gospel of Jesus. If so, we'd like you to send us an email at hello at keystonerdu.church. If you're a regular listener to our podcast and you would like to donate to the media ministry and outreach ministry of Keystone, your gift would allow us to do more in an effective way to get the gospel out. Thank you for partnering with us in ministry in Durham and all around the world. Visit keystonerdu.church to get involved.